أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان وبعد باب ما يقول إذا رجع وإذا رأى بلدته فيه حديث ابن عمر رضي الله عنهم السابق في بابي this is a chapter regarding what a person should say um, when he returns from a trip and sees uh, his homeland. Uh, and amongst uh, the things that are relevant to this chapter also is the hadith that was previous mentioned, previously mentioned uh, two weeks ago in Dars with regards to uh, uh, the Musafir saying takbir when uh, ascending, when ascending a, a valley. So if you want to hear about that, just listen to the two weeks ago درس. وعن سيدنا أنس رضي الله تعالى عنه قال أقبلنا مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم حتى إذا كنا بظهر المدينة قال آئبون تائبون عابدون لربنا حامدون فلم يزل يقول ذلك حتى قدمنا المدينة رواه مسلم سيدنا أنس بن مالك رضي الله تعالى عنه narrates that uh, uh we uh, uh we 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 came upon with uh, sorry we 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 aqbalna uh, here means uh, uh 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 we returned to, or we came upon uh, uh we came upon our way home with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or faced the way home with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam until we were uh, uh, uh right overlooking medina and the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, A'ibun, A'ibun, Ta'ibun, that we, we turn to Allah ta'ala and repent to Allah ta'ala, Abidun li rabbina hamidun, worshipping our Lord and uh, 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 praising Him. So we mentioned this is a, an example also of the tanazul fi'lan, that here you have uh, uh, one, two, three, four different ism files that are... Uh, uh, um, that are comp- that that the the uh, that the object of which is the the word rub, uh, and uh, they function as verbs. Uh, and he kept saying that, repeating that over and over again until we arrived in Medina Munawwara. And for those who remember, also this is a this is also part of the Masnoon Dua for returning from Hajj, and it's also part of the Masnoon Dua for returning from Jihad fi Sabilillah. Uh, that a person should return in humility and make the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Babu istihbab ibtida' al-qadimi bil-masjid al-ladhi fi jiwarihi wa salatihi fihi rak'atain. This is a chapter with regards to the preference to uh, uh, to when arriving back from a, a trip to first go to the local masjid and pray two rak'ahs and then come back to your home. Uh, um, عن كعب ابن مالك رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كان إذا قدم من سفر بدأ بالمسجد فركع فيه ركعتين متفق عليه. سيدنا كعب بن مالك رضي الله عنه narrates that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم when he would return from uh, a trip uh, uh, he would first go to the masjid and uh, uh, pray two rakahs. This hadith narrated both by uh, both by Bukhari and by Muslim. 
And so this is connected with another sunnah, which is that when you leave for a trip, you should the last thing you should do before leaving is pray two rak'ahs in your home. And when you return from a trip, you should pray two rak'ahs. Um, and the connection between the, the, the praying two rak'ahs at home and two rak'ahs in the trip is what? Is that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa essentially lived in the masjid. The masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he actually had no house of his own. Rather, it was just the masjid and then there were doors that would open up uh, some to the outside and then some into rooms. And so each of the azwaj mutahharat, the, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ had their own room. And Rasulullah ﷺ would stay the night with the one whose turn it was uh, that night. And uh, so essentially he had no space of his own. All of the space was shared space. He had no personal personal space. The closest thing he had to personal space ﷺ was there was a small section of roof that was that was strong enough that a person could like go up there and sit on the roof. And so if he wanted to retreat from everybody, um, a place that's not a, like the masjid, the public space, and that's not shared with family members, occasionally, uh, very rarely, he would go up to that place and he would, he, would, he would sit there. But it was not a frequent occurrence. It was not a frequent occurrence. So, but the thing is that you have to remember Rasulullah essentially functionally lived in the masjid. And so this puts a lot of things into context. And the first of which is what, like we mentioned here, um, regarding what we mentioned here regarding uh, uh, um, reconciling the sunnah of praying in the masjid when returning from a trip versus praying at home um, the second thing is that it puts a lot of other stuff in context as well so when people you know like when you're like yo you mind getting your kids under control in the masjid some kids in the masjid are crazy they while the namaz is going while the prayer prayer is going on they're you know, running up into the mimbar and mihrab and they're jumping and yelling and screaming and things like that. People oftentimes will say, oh, but you know, look, there's hadith in which Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu anhu got on the back of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the masjid, right? That's because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi lived there. It's not, I mean, that's the only place they're going to meet him and visit him. That is home for them. Uh, uh, and so, even if they're in one of the, the houses or whatever, it's the same building, it's connected, it's connected to the masjid. It doesn't mean bring your children to the masjid, especially if there's nobody to watch them or, or, or whatever. I mean, I get the fact that like, you know, people should, be, people should be patient with children in the masjid space. They should be tolerant. They should know that they're going to make mistakes and they're going to learn. So you, ha- you, know, you, you, know, you don't have to like every time have like a, a complete like showdown about like whenever a kid makes a problem. But on the flip side, America, and this is America, I've not seen this in any other Muslim country. I have not seen this in the Arab lands. I have not seen this in the Indian subcontinent. I have definitely not seen it in Turkey, where you'll have like a kid run, you know, roughshod through the, the through the masjid and jumping on the the member of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, etc., etc., and uh, uh, yelling and screaming and whatever. And it just happens day after day, day in and day out. Whereas here, I see that. I see people do that, and they think of it as not just an act of piety, but that they're like making tajdeed of some sort of sunnah, like they're they're reviving some sort of sunnah that oh, I heard somewhere that. You know, uh, the grandson of the Prophet ﷺ jumped on his back in Salat one day. So now my son is going to jump on everyone's back every Salat every day. Uh, that's not reviving a Sunnah. You're just you're just being a punk at that point. To be very f- honest with you, and people, uh, you know, they, they they don't take it well sometimes because they're so they feel so much like idealism about it. But that's what happens. Those are the frankly, because we're not talking about anyone in specific right now. This is a thing that happens in different places. This is the stupidity of not taking your deen from ulama. This is the stupidity of what? You heard one thing one time, 
and you made an entire dean around it. You spun an entire narrative about the dean around that one, that one little factoid, which you don't even know if it's correct, and you definitely haven't pondered over what the context of that dean is, or what the context of that, that point is and that matter is. I mean, it's bad enough that a person should look at the grandson of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and think of his own grandson like that. That's just an adab issue. That's not even a fiqh or aqidah issue. That's just you have no adab. Right? Your, your child and your grandson, as wonderful and cute and lovely and whatever future of the ummah as you may think he or she is or isn't, uh, there's no hadith saying that these are the Sayyidah Shababi Ahlul Jannah. So just get off the horse and uh, uh, you know, uh, don't, don't think you can compare yourself. But that's fine. Those types of emotions or sentiments with regards to the veneration of our elders, they seem to be absent and alien to people nowadays. If you tell people, it's not going to register with them. So you have to come with a legalistic uh, reason or argument for why you know their kid shouldn't uh, 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 have like playtime at, at at like every salat. So okay, I gave the legalistic reason first. The actual reason of like any person who is like a normal human being has a heart inside of their inside of their chest is that you're not the messenger of Allah and your kid is not Hassan and Hussein. So just calm down. Right, you remember that same Hussein that, uh, that, 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 you know, that's being mentioned. He was also a martyr at Karbala. Your kid probably doesn't even going to wake up for Fajr when he's a teenager. So just calm down. There's no comparison. There's no comparison. Even if he does wake up for Fajr for the rest of his life, there's no comparison between them. <coughs> but that's something, again, nobody thinks about. That idea, that sentiment, it doesn't appeal to people nowadays. عن سيدنا أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يحل لامرأة sorry that's لا يحل لامرأة تؤمن بالله واليوم الآخر تسافر مسيرة يوم وليلة إلا مع ذي محرم عليها متفق عليه so we start the chapter now regarding the the باب تحريم سفر المرأة وحدها Hamza come sit here So chapter regarding the uh, the prohibition of traveling, a woman tra- traveling alone. So this is this is a fiqh issue. There's a difference of opinion with regards to the details of it and the different madahib. But in general, uh, the 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 distance of safar, right, 48, 48 miles according to m- most of the madahib. The fatwa position of the Maliki madhab is actually is 23 uh, or something closer to that. It's it's a bit shorter than. Than, uh, than the other madahib and it comes down to what the definition of a mile is the, 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 the definition of a mile is is it 5200 uh, 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 traditional feet or is it 2000 um, and uh, uh, it's interesting because the same, the same measurements but they're ancient measurements that, that break down in different ways um, so that issue being aside because this is not a fit class um, the, the gist of uh, of of what's being told here from the adab of suffer is this adab that a woman shouldn't travel alone, that a woman shouldn't travel a significant distance alone, um, uh, and we narrate from Sayyidina Abi Hurairah radiAllahu taala anhu that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, it's a hadith both of Bukhari and Muslim that it is not lawful for a woman who believes in Allah in the late in the day of judgment to travel the distance of uh, uh, the of, of the of travel of a day and a night except for with uh, a, a a mahram like a male 
uh, male relative uh, that is watching over her. And so, uh, you know, and the, the, I guess in the Maliki school, and I think in the, some other schools as well, that male relative, it can be even a young boy, he doesn't have to be balir, it just has to be mumayiz. Mumayiz means what? Mumayiz means that old enough to, old enough to be able to have some sort of discernment. So like the, in the Maliki fiqh books, the test of discernment is what? Is that, is that boy able to pray the salat and like not get distracted? Right, so for example, when you're praying salat and like someone comes by with like a bar, ice cream bar, everyone is like, mmm, ice cream." Includes the adults, includes Mulana Sab, includes everybody. Right. The difference is that the adults and the Mulana Sab are like, "Oh, if I just like went and got the ice cream bar, it's gonna, it's like wrong, because you know I should be praying right now and finish my prayer first, or." Maybe even like slightly lower than that is like I should be praying, but like it'll be embarrassing if I break my prayer off in front of at any rate, there's some there's some sort of mechanism in the brain that tells you like, okay, let's just like ride this slot thing through and then we can think about ice cream. Whereas like kids below a certain age would be like, mm, ice cream, just like run after the ice cream. They're not able to stop themselves. Those mechanisms to like uh restrain them from 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 completely immediately acting out what they want is is not there. As long as the, the boy is a uh, mumayiz, has this level of discernment, he can, he can come with. Uh, the thing is this, right? Uh, um, you know, a person may make arguments with regards to con- context. That one of the reasons that it was haram for a woman to travel like that is that travel used to be really, da- you know, it used to be dangerous. There would be br- brigands that would take your stuff and kill you and, and like enslave people and whatever, right? There are a number of Sahaba radiallahu anhum are actually like unlawfully enslaved. Why? Because they were just in a place where there was no tribal backing or whatever. Someone nabbed them as a kid, and that's it. You know, Salman al-Farsi, as an adult, he was he was he was nabbed like that and 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 and, and wrong, wrongly enslaved. And it's not just one. There's there's probably dozens of them uh, that were wrong, wrong wrongly enslaved. It's a thing that used to happen. It's actually one of the things that we I think I may have mentioned in the Ramadan majlises. For those of you who listen to those in the SoundCloud, there's one of the Mashaikh, He he went on Hajj. Right. Nowadays, when you go on Hajj, what is the first thing people ask? What hotel are you staying at? You know, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> why don't you go again next year and try, try, try again? Right? The, they say, what what hotel are you staying at? In the old days, people used to prepare for for Hajj. So one of the Mashaikh, uh, 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 his name was Muhammad, and uh, uh, Nasaj, and uh, uh, he he went for Hajj, and uh, from Baghdad, and when he was in Basra. Someone actually played a trick. He called the police and said, "This is my runaway slave. His name is Khair. So, uh, so the police arrested him and like brought him, like you know, uh, brought him to that guy. And so the the sheikh was thinking that like I went to I went on Hajj trusting in Allah Taala. So this must be part of the 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 plan as well. So he served him for four years in such a good way, took such good care of him, and showed so much like. Uh, Sincerity toward him, that uh, that uh, that the man himself broke down and made toba and said, "You knew you weren't my slave, but you showed so much goodness to me." And he like wept and he said, "I'm sorry and like please forgive me for the sake of Allah." Blah blah blah. And so he let him go to Hajj. Now, if it was me, I'd be like, "Hell no, I ain't your slave. You need to back off. See, this is my Illinois driver license, and like you know what I mean." And that's the Sharia doesn't expect you to do stuff like that. But there are certain kafiyat that people have that are better than us that they carry inside of their heart. And they make them do things that normal people just can't, you know, do, you know. So after four years, he, he, he let him go on his way. Uh, 
And then afterward, whenever people would meet him, he would introduce himself as Khair. Right? Khair is like a name you would name a slave, actually. Um, the Arabs used to name their slaves like nice names like that. So uh, 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 when he went back to his home, the, and people found out about this thing happened, and they said, why, you, why do you uh, name yourself Khair? Uh, uh, that was like a false attribution to you. He said that my mother uh, picked my name, and then, or my father picked my name, and uh, Khair was the name Allah gave to me through circumstance. So the name Allah gave me is more beloved to me than the one that my father gave to me. But those are, again, like those, like some of some like kids don't try this at home type of stuff. At any rate, like really, I mean, if, if this dude is going to like enslave this guy, then, you know, I'm sure there's like 20 other people who are going to try the same thing with a woman, you know, and her ability to fight back and like whatever, uh, uh, you know, traditionally may have been compromised. Now, there's a difference of opinion amongst the ulama as to whether, whether or not, uh, um, whether or not. This hukum is because of the danger in, in, in traveling, because if that's the reason it is, then theoretically if there is a way of traveling that's not dangerous, then a woman shouldn't need to have mahram with her. Or whether it's ta'abud, it's just this is a hukum of the sharia, I just accept it. And uh, um, without wading into that, that discussion, um, which we can leave for a fiqh class, in fact an advanced, a relatively advanced fiqh class, uh, there is some difference of opinion in the matter. Uh, so like, you know, I've seen this, like some of the ulama will say like, okay, you know, like if you're dropping someone off at the airport, the airport is very secure, nothing, you know, they're like armed air marshals on the plane and whatever. It's not like someone's going to be able to, uh, do anything too crazy. Although people do do relatively crazy things, but no one's going to get enslaved or like killed or like beat or whatever. Um, unless you're flying United, uh, <laughs> and, and like someone else, you know, they gave your seat to someone else, but I, 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 I've heard they've even changed that policy. Also, that guy made like $40 million out of the whole thing, so I'm sure he'll be, <laughs> he'll get over it. <laughs> but <laughs> completely unrelated to Riyadh Salihin is one of the funniest memes I saw. Someone showed a seating chart for United Flight. It says first class, economy plus, and then the bottom, like 60% of the plane says fight zone, <laughs> fight, fight club. <laughs> Anyhow, so yeah, that doesn't really happen. So I've seen this, that some of the Mashaikh have made exemptions for these things. And I've also seen some of the mashayikh that are, no, they're like very strict about like, the, you know, that, that in their families, the, the, the women will travel, um, the women will travel uh, uh, with mahram only. And uh, I, you know, and so like one of, one of my mashayikh, because his Maliki madhab is probably the most lenient in this, or at least has a window for the most leniency in it, um, in terms of a woman traveling on her own. But I've also seen that our Mauritanian mashayikh, from them, there are people who very steadfastly will not Will, will not compromise on this issue. And it's very interesting in Mauritania, for those of you who don't know, uh, in the Sharia in general, if a, a baby will breastfeed from a woman, then that woman, uh, many of the ahkam of her being his mother will, 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 will take place. So if you, if you like uh, suckled from, from a, a, a woman as a child, then she becomes like your mother to you. Not exactly in the sense you don't inherit from her, but she becomes like your mother to you. If she's married to a man, that man becomes your mahram as well for the rest of your life. Uh, her other children become your mahram. You cannot marry them. They cannot marry you. And there's no parda between you, b- b- between the two of you, etc. And so the Mauritanians, what they do, they'll pass the children around. So uh, a woman may have like maybe like 90 brothers through, uh, uh, through uh, uh, suckling. Through fo- like foster, foster brothers, essentially. Right? Like the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He also, the, he, was like, uh, he was sent to Halima Sa'adiyah radiallahu ta'ala anha. 
to to suckle as a baby. So he had a sister. He had a sister from uh, uh, from her daughters, and she actually uh, uh, she actually also then later on will become Muslim and she'll recognize him, etc., etc. She's buried in the in the Baqiya as well. Her name is Shayma, which is not a name I see Desi people usually have, but in, among some some Arabs, there you know I see that, that that like in Egypt and stuff like that, that name is very common. So at any rate. Um, because of that, it makes this easier. So if you have like 90 or 70 like brothers, then finding someone to travel with becomes much more easy. Amongst Desi people, what do they do? They'll say, no, don't, you know, they, they'll say, no, don't suckle the baby because uh, then who are they going to marry? Because they're still in the co- mindset of like everyone's going to marry the first cousin, uh, which I don't even think many families do anymore. And even back home, they don't do that anymore. That's not really a big thing. So I personally think this is like a solution to a lot of stuff that you know you have gatherings in like in the family, all the cousins are there. Shut on you're supposed to have hijab from your cousins. You're either gonna marry them or you're not, right? Uh, uh, so if you suckle the children as uh, you know as as babies, um, then then uh, that that issue doesn't become an issue anymore. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, from the Mauritanian Mashaikh, I've seen you know the teachers I studied from were very strict about it. And then on the flip side, from the Hanafi Mashaikh that I studied from. You know, many of them will do that. They'll say like, okay, general, you know, the, the ladies won't travel on their own, but we'll like, uh, you know, if it's like something like just someone's there at the airport to drop them off, someone's there to, at the airport to pick them up from the other side, we'll do that. Um, but, you know, it's something that requires, that, 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 that requires attention. It is a part of the deen. And even at the airport where things can't go wrong, I've seen this before, where people, not just women, but men as well, uh, um, like when things go really wrong at the airport, they go really wrong. It can get really bad. So uh, uh, we're a culture that 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 we value the honor of women and that they should be protected uh, and that they shouldn't be subjected to, to to difficulties. It's wrong. It's like a dishonor in the entire family that women shouldn't be subjected to the same difficulties that 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 would be tolerable for men. Uh, now that's not like a very feminist friendly thing so i figured all the people are gonna from that camp who are gonna hate me for saying that like already hate me for saying other stuff from before so i don't really i mean i I, even if that wasn't the case i wouldn't care but i like double don't care now uh uh, and the idea is this is that is that 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 how you treat how you treat your women is a good barometer of like who, who you are as a person so it's interesting like in mauritania right in mauritania it's it it wasn't still it's a very poor country uh, they're Bedouins. It's considered aib that your daughter should go hungry. So they would, f- when 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 there's scarcity in food in the old days, uh, they would pref- give preference to the girls to that they should eat. And once they've eaten, then the boys get something to eat. And it became like a cultural thing, so much so that like uh, uh, the traditional Mauritanian culture, it, the women are actually like very big. They're like an overweight woman. It's like a sign that she's like a good girl from a good family and this and that and the other thing. Whereas now like we're obsessed with like, like whatever we have models like that, that are like about to evaporate and they, you know, they feel pressured, like they eat a little bit and they have to go and vomit. And Mauritania is completely the other way around. And so it's, it's funny, like Oprah did a, a, a show one time about like how, oh, look how horrible Mauritanians are. They forced their women to become fat. And I'm like, that's actually, you know, that's actually not where it, where it came from. That's not where the custom... Because the custom evolves into something else later on, but the origin of it is what? That it's considered uh, improper and dishonorable that you don't take care of your daughters properly. Uh, and so they would be given preference, and that's how that, that thing started over there. 
Um, so that's that's our dean. Whoever likes it can like it. Whoever doesn't like it, good for you. You know, but uh, you know, if you're if you're a Muslim, you should do that. You know, you should make sure your sisters are taken care of before you know you take care of yourself. You should make sure that they have something to eat before you eat yourself. You understand? If baby Ghalia like you know like yells and screams, you have to be patient, right? If it's another boy, you can like get into a fight with him. But if it's a girl, you have to you have to be patient. Well, that's our dean. That's the dean that 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 we practice and that was handed down to us through through the generations from Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So that's that's a thing. People should accept that. And uh, many people are like, oh, that's just misogynistic because it restricts my choice as a woman to. You know, go wherever I want and do whatever I want to do. I said, okay, go do what you want to do what you, you, you want to do. There's nobody who's going to stop you now. If there was a time that someone would have stopped you, that time is long gone. It's something like in storybooks from like, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far away. Go do whatever you want. But if you want to, uh, if you, want to uh, uh, you know, jump into the jungle and survival of the fittest, don't be surprised if you're not happy afterward. Because that's not, that's not a fun... Uh, that's not a fun tartib to go on uh, and it lacks grace and dignity and humanity we shouldn't behave that way even with one another much less uh, much less with with our women so um, I see this mashallah amongst religious religious men uh, uh, um, a lot that because of their anxiety uh, their anxiety with regards to proper interactions with women they oftentimes will present themselves in a way that comes off to a woman as rude or because of their their embarrassment to not want to be perceived as if they're like being flirtatious or whatever, right? Uh, they'll end up they'll end up thinking that they're rude. The, the the proper way of dealing with this is what is you should be nice, and you should be you should be polite, and you should offer and render service. Uh, you should at the same time lower your gaze. And don't worry so much about what the woman is going to think about you as much as you worry about what Allah Ta'ala is going to think about you. If Allah is pleased with your having taken care of your sister in the deen, and your sister in the deen is also pleased with you, what's your problem? The fact that the woman would be happy that you helped her is not, it's not like itself an evil thing. That's not why you're doing it. There are a set of separate set of males that are actually doing it in order to like, whatever, be flirtatious or what. That's not what you need to worry about. And this is something people, it's a different way of thinking. This is, I think the parallel for this for in your mind is what, like Mulana Fazlur Rahman Azmi, he's the Shaykh al-Hadith in Azadville. He's like an epic master muhaddith that like the Gujaratis in South Africa basically just paid him so much until he came to their madrasa and like, he's, he's like, he's like literally a pillar of that, that, that institution. Um, just a really amazing person in, in so many senses. I mean, I know many people who they learn the love of knowledge from him. And so he is known that whenever he would go, uh, uh, you know, go in South Africa, there's a lot of poverty there, right? He would go and a beggar would come to the door of the car or whatever. He would put the car window down and give them some money. And then people protest all the standard protest. Oh, this guy is lazy. He's alcoholic. He's this. He's that. He's the other thing. He's not going to blah, blah, blah with the money. And some of his students told me what he'll tell people when they say it is that I'm not giving it for him. I'm giving it for the sake of Allah. What he does with the money is not any of my business. Which obviously doesn't mean that you hand like ten thousand dollars to you know a dude who's shooting up heroin or something, but like when there's a doubt, the benefit of the doubt shouldn't go to the creation; it should go to the creator. So you know, be a gentleman when when uh, 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 your sisters want or ask for something from you, and occasionally, if they behave badly with you or rudely with you, 
uh, than just have the suburb and the hummel just ignore it, just make the hummel for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. That's our deen as well. Uh, and uh, 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 if that's the way it should be for some, like just a stranger, then imagine how much it should be for your mother or your sister or your wife or whatever. Uh, and if my mother and sister and wife are listening, my wife is definitely listening, they're probably rolling their eyes like, oh yeah, he's talking a big game now that he's in Dars, but like, we know him, so... I never, I never said it's easy, but this is the teaching of the deen, whatever. Whether I implement it or not very well, this is the teaching of the deen. It's an amana, we have to transmit it as we heard it. وعن سيدنا عبد الله بن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنه أنه سمع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول لا يخلون رجل بمرأة إلا ومعها ذو محرم ولا تسافر المرأة إلا مع ذي محرم فقال رجل يا رسول الله إن امرأتي خرجت حاجة فإنك تتبت في غزوة كذا وكذا قال انطلق فحج مع مع امرأتك Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas anhuma, may Allah ta'ala be pleased with both of them uh, uh, he, uh, it comes that he heard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say uh, uh, and this is, this is like a double uh, emphatic that indeed do not let a man uh, be alone together with a woman except for, except for uh, uh, one of her uh, maharim are with her. So generally speaking, the the the, the uh, uh, commandment is what uh, uh, the commandment is that uh, 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 the commandment is what is that uh, a, a man and a woman who are not mahram together, they can't be in khalwa alone. Right. So. What lifts the khalwa is not necessarily her mahram being there, but just a third person because it's no longer khalwa. So what the, the actual meaning of the hadith is, is what is that if a man and woman are alone together, they should either be married or unmarriageable kin. There's no other khalwa that's tolerated. If a third person is there, then it's no longer khalwa. And this is something that like, again, oh, big like uh, feminist outrage that like, what am I like a baby and a child that like I can't be alone with another person or whatever and this and that and other thing. It's like, cool, yeah, I get, that's an interesting point you make on the other flip side, like all this Weinstein stuff. So like, you know, figure out what you guys want to do. We figured it out a long time ago. This is our solution for this issue. You guys keep figuring out your own solution. And uh, again, no one's going to force you to do what we're doing. Um, But we figured this out a long time ago. This is what works. And uh, it's very interesting how like many Jewish women have actually come out because Weinstein himself is a Yehudi, at least ethnically, right? Um, and uh, many of the women who are abused also because you know there's many Jews in show business. Wonderful. I'm not saying that like as a conspiracy theory thing. A, it's a fact, and B, like I'm not good for them. You know, uh, maybe we can have some. You know, if Aman was funnier, then maybe he could be in show business too. You know, so you may work on your routine, and you can you you can live the dream in Hollywood to make it big, right? Uh, but the thing is that yeah, there are many Jew, Jews in show business. So many uh, Jewish women came out like, oh yeah. All this time I remembered like the teachings that our rabbi taught us, you know, when we were growing up in New York or whatever that like, you know, they were saying all these details. Can you get into an elevator with a man like just for the 10 seconds you're in the elevator? Is that khalwa? Is it not khalwa? Or they use the word khalwa because they have a different word in Hebrew. But like, you know, they're like all of a sudden like it's become cool again to like be like, yo, I don't go into khalwa with it. Or even Mike Pence. Mike Pence where's the India? We have some Indiana people in the crowd. Mashallah. Indiana, raise your hand. Mashallah. Uh, uh, Allah Ta'ala Allah ta protect you guys. You know, Alhamdulillah, mashallah. 
At least it's not Peoria, right? It's always something to be thankful for. <laughs> no, you in Indiana now, <laughs> right? That's Mike Pence. Everyone likes to hate on him. And uh, to be fair, uh, you know, Mikey Boy doesn't, he doesn't make it hard. <laughs> With a lot of the fun things he does and says. But one of the things that he said, I respect that. You know, he said that. He said he, uh, he follows the Billy Graham rule. Which is that he's not gonna he's not gonna have dinner with a woman that he's not married to, and he's not gonna be in a room alone with a woman he's not married to. Which is probably why uh, he's like one of the like three like clean people in DC, from that perspective, right? He may be he we may have like extremely strenuous like difference of opinion with him about like a lot of other things, but that's something I can respect. That's something I can respect. So there are people there are people who know it's common sense. If you don't implement these things, it's gonna be very difficult to get through life. Uh, in a clean way um, and so haters are going to keep hating let them hate you know uh, uh, this is this is this is these are the teachings of wahi that the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam says really let never a man be alone together with with a woman in seclusion um, except for except for with somebody who is her uh, who is her mahram who is like her brother or father or uh, the like uh, son etc um, and a woman shouldn't travel with a man, except for what? Except for that 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 man is also from unmarriageable kin. It's from unmarriageable kin, which is the the same the, the same concept that was in the in the in the chapter in the chapter before. Now, there is an exemption that some of the fuqaha say for a woman who's going on her fard hajj, and some of the fuqaha say no, that's not even an exemption, that the hajj is not fard on her, if that's the case. And so this hadith is actually proof for the latter group. Because it continues that when Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said this, said this, uh, uh, um, he said this commandment that they shouldn't be in seclusion together. A man and woman can't be in seclusion together, except for if they're they're maharim, and let a woman not travel uh, 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 without a maharim present. A man said, "O Messenger of Allah, my wife has left to go make Hajj." But and my name was written uh, to be part of the army, uh, 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 part of an army to go out uh, uh, in jihad fi sabilillah. Now, for those of you who know, if you read the Quran and you read like classical fiqh and things like that, jihad fi sabilillah is a big deal. There is the, the there there are two there are two uh, acts of piety. One is studying studying sacred knowledge. And preserving sacred knowledge, and the other one is jihad fi sabilillah. One might see one as being preferable over the other. I think majority of the the, the ummah considers the the uh, seeking of knowledge to be partially, not completely, but partially better than going out in jihad fi sabilillah. Um, but the the number of rewards that are that are described um, in the Quran or in the Hadith of the Prophet with regards to jihad fi sabilillah. Um, there, there's, there's nothing that, there's nothing like it. And in fact, if you read the Quran and you understand Arabic, like a third of it is about jihad fi sabilillah. Now people are like, oh my God, where have I come? That's it. The feds are going to move in. This and that and the other thing. Trust me, cops are busy shooting black people right now. There's no oversight, uh, you know, anymore. I was like, you know, it, it just become the system is broken down. So it's so ridiculous that even if it, I said something illegal, there's no nothing's going to happen now. But I didn't. 
And I'm not endorsing these yahoos in the backwoods of Syria and Iraq, ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And these, these people are crazy. These people are the ones who took the name of Jihad Fisabillah, made a mockery out of it, and did a great disservice to Islam. And I really wouldn't be surprised if some or all of their factions are, are, are not, uh, uh, you know, somehow actually just puppets that are agents on behalf of other uh, foreign powers. Because I've not seen the ulama uh, endorse uh, what they're doing, killing innocent civilians and starting wars. Uh, on their own, uh, whereas it was always traditionally uh, considered to be only the right of the sovereign authority to do those things. But the idea is this, there is such a thing in Islam as just war. If a person goes out on the path of Allah Ta'ala in order to make the world a better place, and it's actual legit, legitimate jihad, not just like some, you know, like like four teenagers like beheading somebody on a cell phone like in the backwoods in Syria or whatever, right? With no just cause or, or purpose or, or sanctification from the deen or whatever. Uh, if it's an actual jihad, it's a big deal, right? So here's a man, he's, his name is written in, in the list of the people who are going to go out with the army in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, uh, he says to the Messenger of Allah, he says, O Messenger of Allah, my wife, wa, my, my, my wife has l- just left uh, for Hajj. And my name was written uh, uh, to be part of such and such army to go out in the path of Allah. Um, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He says he he see what he gave him permission that you're exempted from joining the army. Go with your wife. Go with your wife. Uh, 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 go with your wife to Hajj. Fahujja uh, ma'am ra'atik. Go with your wife to Hajj. Why? Because Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam saw that if this woman is traveling alone, that she's putting herself in peril, and it's better for you. Why? You know, why are you going to go and protect the state or why are you going to go and protect other innocent people? The first innocent people you should protect is your own wife before you protect someone else's wife. And this has to do with the deen as well, that if everyone takes care of their own people, then there's no one else to take care of. If everyone you know, takes care of the poor people of their own relatives, there's no poor people left anymore. If everybody gives a job to their own relatives, then there's no unemployed. If everyone gives a place to live for their own relatives, there's no home, etc. That's, that's where you get the most reward is for taking care of your own people. Now some people will say, look, this is a proof that a woman can't go out, go out on Hajj uh, uh, on her own. Um, and I don't think that there's a decisive proof for that in this hadith. What it is that Rasulullah commanded him that it's better, you'll get more reward for accompanying your wife than you will for going jihad fi sabilillah. It doesn't necessarily mean that he said that what she said doing is doing is haram. He definitely didn't say that much. So the fiqh issue, you can debate it in fiqh class. But uh, uh, the, as far as what the, the, the teaching that the, the, the hadith is uh, presenting in light of the chapter that it was, it, it was put in, is that uh, uh, the ladies shouldn't travel alone. There should be somebody with them. Uh, because the, 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 the peril that, 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 that they are subjected to is arguably greater than that a man is subjected to, and even if they're the same, uh, it's a greater shame on a person and on their, on their, on their name that, uh, that a woman should be subjected to it, even though we might tolerate it if a man was. So with that... Yeah. Go ahead. Age factor doesn't matter the age factor, couple, right? yeah, age factor does matter, though. I mean, because the thing is, look, one might say, oh, yeah, if she's young and attractive, then someone should travel with her. Well, what, does that mean like an 80-year-old woman doesn't need someone to help her? She may need more help, but in other ways. The peril may be different, but, but you know, or like, like a 7-year-old girl, what she doesn't, you know, someone just because nobody will find her, like, attractive like that, except for some statistical outliers or whatever. But still, I mean, then everyone needs help in some certain way, in some sort of way. The Kitab al-Fadail, 
the, the now we start a, a, a new like section of the book, and this is the the section with regards to the the the, the virtues of things, and so this is a, a large uh, um, a large uh, 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 field of the knowledge of Deen, which is fadail. So one field of knowledge in the Deen is what aqaid, what are your beliefs. There, what ideas? How should you think about things? How should how should you see things in life? A second one is ahkam, legal rulings, and uh, a third one is what it's fadail. What are the benefits in things? Um, and oftentimes the fadail get relegated to like a kind of a third status in the sense that if your aqaid are not correct, you you're, you may be a kafir, and if your uh, uh, um, if your ahkam are not correct, you may become a fasik, a profligate, a sinner. Whereas fadail are like you know they don't you don't need to technically learn them in order to believe what's right or to do what's right, but the importance of them lies in this important pedagogical technique that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to employ very frequently, which is he would tell people not only what to do but what the benefit of doing it is, knowing that a human being is a a a a, a rational thinking uh, a creature, and if things don't make sense, people won't do them. Uh, and so this is important for all of us, especially those of us who are going to have kids, that you not only tell the kids what to do, but tell them what it is, why they're doing, what's the benefit, what's the reward, etc., etc. And the problem is that if you don't teach the fadail, then people may know what's wrong and right legally, and they may know what's wrong and right in terms of creed, but they're never going to motivate themselves to follow it. Uh, so the fadail are not like a third, like distant third in importance. Rather, it's it's just like a person, you know, it's like, would, I, would you rather have your liver or your kidneys or your heart, right? So you might say, well, I did a, took biology, definitely heart. Well, okay, what is your heart going to pump? If you don't have any liver or kidneys, you're going to be toasting like, you know, six hours instead of like six minutes. But that's not like, that's not a solution to anything, you know? So yeah, it may be like the third most important, but it's something still necessary for the, for the person to, to function. And so uh, uh, that's important. If you want to motivate people to do stuff, you ha- and also as a, mashallah, as the Moviyani Kiram, yeah, you're going to give khutbahs one day, you know. Don't just tell people what's haram. Tell them why why it is and what the harm they'll see by not by 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 not avoiding it. Tell them what's right and tell them what benefit they'll see by 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 uh, uh, accepting it. Uh without the fadail, oftentimes the aqaid, the the ahkam, tasawuf, all of it falls apart. Uh, and and people just they they just they, they just don't get on the program. So this is a, a very large uh, and important corpus of material from the teachings of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So uh, Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala has compiled an entire section in the Riyadh al-Salihin on the fadail, the virtues of things, uh, and what the benefits of things are. And so he starts with the babu fadli qira'at al-Qur'an, the chapter regarding the the benefit of, of, of the recitation of the Qur'an. Uh, and this is, it's important because people don't, recite the Quran anymore nowadays in order to be considered a pious Muslim you just need to like tweet about Muslimy stuff and have more than like a thousand followers you know what I mean and there are a lot of people just never learn to read the Quran and they have obnoxious opinions about all sorts of things and and they never they don't even if you tell them to sit down and open the Mus'haf they don't even know how to read the Quran and this is something also it's an issue because if that's the way that the general community is that's also the way that people who come new to the deen are. So I know brothers who converted uh, to Islam like in the 60s and 70s. And I've heard this from them. They lament. They say all these you know, uh, 
people become Muslim now. I remember when I they say, well, I remember when I became a Muslim. Reading the Quran was a big deal. We used to sit for hours and hours and hours and learn how to read, and we would sit and read in the masjid for hours and hours. I said, now I know brothers have been Muslim for ten years, for fifteen years, for seven years, for four years. They not only don't know how to read the Quran, but they don't want to learn how to read the Quran. And I'm not picking on converts because there are many born Muslims who are like that as well. Where did they learn that from? It's important. It's a really big deal. And the thing is that like, okay, being able to sit and read like a, a juz of Quran, it's not far like praying five times a day is or like going on hajj is or fasting Ramadan or paying zakat or whatever. But it was part of what makes you a good Muslim. If you live the oral tradition and you sit with the people who transmit the oral tradition, you'll see that from them. Uh, that that a person will, I, and you know, you think it's you may not you may think it's incredible because people say, oh look, you know these hagiographical he- accounts of the old mashayikh. This is all just people making it up and they're trying to pump up and and uh, uh, exaggerate regarding their own teachers and their own mashayikh. What is this Imam Abu Hanifa is like reading the Quran uh, every night and things like that? I mean, I I remember from uh, our mashayikh in Mauritania, in in Mauritania that what. Like just walking around doing the dishes, vacuuming the house, you know, walking to and from the masjid. The sheikh used to make khatam al-Qur'an every other day. And it, with, with no effort, it didn't look like he's making effort to do it. Like he's sitting down and being like a big Sufi master and like just reading, reading, reading until like he shoots light out of his fingertips and starts like floating like, so like a Street Fighter character or something like that. Like no, that was just, you know, like no force and like lightsabers and all this other stuff and like, you know. What is it? It's just it's what just a habit of constantly reading, and so I thought, wow, that's really neat for the Mauritanians, man. I wish the rest of the Muslims were like that. Have you ever read the the autobiography Mulana Zakaria, uh, the Abiti Mulana Zakaria? It's actually like from the Desi books. It's like one of the I don't want to say good, but like non egregious translations. Like there's a lot of khair in the actual content, and if you want to read it, you you can like do so in a non frustrating way. The English is alright. Again, it could use another edit, but it's all right, right? So that's what he mentioned. He said, when I was a kid, so he passed away in, what, 1981 or something? In 1983, I think? Uh, um, so Sheikh Amin and like our elders, mashallah, in Chicago, many of them have met him before. He said, when I was a kid, uh, uh, my father, he would, after Fajr, he'd kick me out of the house and say, you can't come back home until you read the whole Quran. So he goes, I would sit on the roof most days. I'd just go sit on the roof and like before noon I'd be, I'd be done and then he'd let me back in the house. That's how Muslims were. Now there is, mashallah, Chicago has a proliferation of hufaz that can't read anything without making like 10 mistakes on the same page. Who am I to, who am I to say anything? I'm, neither a, I'm not a hafiz who could even make 10 mistakes in a page I don't even know the page in the beginning that I should make any whatever so I'm not like you know trying to talk down to nobody those people are still ahead of me but it's a reminder we should take that reading Quran is what makes you Muslim it's one of I mean not like fiqh wise and afida wise or whatever as, as, as much but like if you were to like just as an observer see what makes a person this is one of the things that makes you Muslim uh, uh, and so it's good to learn the uh, learn the, the fadail of the Quran so that a person can say, okay, wow, this is really good. Like, instead of writing another Facebook post that's going to get, like, uh, you know, 30 likes or whatever, maybe maybe I should, like, I should read some Quran in the morning because that's cool too, you know? Uh, it's sad that it has to kind of come to that point, but, you know, we're all, we're all, you know, we're all like, it's like an AA, AA meeting, you know? We all have a problem. Hi, my name is Hamza, and I have, like, I have, I have a problem. 
and, uh, and then it's like everyone's like hi Hamza don't worry you can share you know we're not judging you or nothing Mir is judging me I could see that right now but like the rest of you don't seem to be judging me mashallah um, you know so if this is this is the state we're in you know that's fine uh, we should recognize that so we can get some help and get better عن سيدنا أبي أمامة رضي الله تعالى عنه قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول قرأوا القرآن فإنه يأتي يوم القيامة شفيعا لأصحابه رواه مسلم وعن النواس بن سمعان رضي الله تعالى عنه قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول يؤتى يوم القيامة بالقرآن وأهله الذين كانوا يعملون به في الدنيا تقدمه سورة البقرة وآل إمران تحاجان عن صاحبهما رواه مسلم. So there's two two uh, uh, two uh, hadiths that are uh, that are connected with one another. So the first one is narrated by Sayyidina Abu Umama رضي الله تعالى عنه that uh, uh, um, that he said I heard the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم say Read the Quran because it will come on the day of judgment as a uh, as a uh, um, an intercessor for its people, for the people who used to read it. And so, Hadith of Muslim. So, what does that mean that it'll come as an intercessor for for the people who used to read it? Like, will it be like, okay, you used to read it shows in your book of deeds, you used to read the Quran, uh, um, so okay, you should be forgiven. What does it mean exactly? So, the meaning is further uh, elaborated in. The subsequent hadith that Nawawi brings, rahimahullah, uh, from Nawas bin Sam'an, anhu, who said, I heard the Messenger of Allah وسلم, say that the Quran will be uh, brought on the Day of Judgment. And the people of the Quran that used to act on its teachings will be brought on the, uh, uh, act on its teachings in this world, uh, will be brought on the Day of Judgment as well. And so who are the Ahlul Quran? They're the people who are reading the Quran all the time. And they're the people who read the Qur'an and Rasulullah said that not everybody but the ones who read the Qur'an all the time and actually act on its, actually act on its pronunciations. And there's a whole professional class of Qur'an reciters, many of whom are, are uh, uh, you know, when you look at, through the prism of like the, the teachings of akhlaq of the deen, um, relatively <coughs> horrible people. Uh, we don't even have we don't have either, and we're just horrible people, and we don't recite the Qur'an a lot. But you know, in the Muslim world, there is like a, this class of people. We're not talking about them. We're talking about who? The people who recite it and uh, act on it. In order to act on it, presumably you're understanding some part of it as well. Uh, and the knowledge of the Qur'an was what was the primary benchmark of what made a person a, an alim in the old days. Nowadays, you just tell good stories and like throw in like little paradigm uh, 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 ethos narratives like the zeitgeist and schadenfreude and whatever, some fancy words in there and everyone's like, oh man, this guy's like the next big thing for like Islamic learning in America or whatever. But in the old days, they used to consider it to be the knowledge of the Qur'an that made you a, a, a person of knowledge. So he said the, the Qur'an and the people of the Qur'an will be brought to Yom Al-Qiyamah. And who will be the two at the, at the head of that, that group? It will be uh, Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Imran. They'll come in an anthropomorphic form. They'll come in the form of human being. And they'll be like the lawyers for the, you know, the, lawyers for the, for the, for the people who are being judged. Right? Most people will not have an advocate in, uh, during their judgment. It's just them and Allah Ta'ala. But these two will be like, you know how they have like the commercials on the, have you been in an auto accident? Larry H. Parker can help you get the money you deserve. You know what I mean? Right? So, and then like they say like, 
I, you know, my, I, I got hit and I had to miss work for two weeks. I didn't know what to do. Larry H. Parker helped me get a settlement of $20,000 so that I could get back up on my feet. And like at the end, usually they find like the most giant looking like client and like, he doesn't even tell about his case. He's just like, Larry H. Parker got me 7.8 million. And like, you know, that's it. Cause that's, that's what he does. Cause he's, he's like a good lawyer. Right. So you, you, you say, wow, man, this guy can really like bag the thing for me. Right. That's the dunya. Imagine Yom Qiyama. It's not Larry H. Parker. It's what? It's the Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Imran. You don't, you, they just say, shh, don't say anything. Just let us take care of this. Tell me the, 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 the Surah, Surah Al-Baqarah, the recitation of Surah Al-Baqarah and the recitation of Surah Al-Imran. Are they, what is their status with Allah Ta'ala? It's something honored and something revered. So if they're your if they're your lawyer, right? Imagine in this in this world, if like don't worry, man, my lawyer is like the judge's first cousin. You know, like we both had our bar mitzvah together at the same synagogue or what? That's it, done. Alhamdulillah, mashallah. By the way, you know, mashallah, or like we both had our whatever aqiqah in the same masjid. Whatever you want to say, right? It's fine. Whatever religion it is, I have no problem with you know, mashallah. We all live together in peace and harmony, mashallah. The idea is what? Because of the ta'aluq between Allah Ta'ala and the Qur'an He revealed and He commanded to be recited. If the recitation of Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Imran are going to be uh, your representative, right? It's, it's, it literally says here, it says, Tuhad jani an that they'll argue on your behalf, right? Uh, uh, they, will, they will argue on your behalf. Like the muhajja is like an like a aggressive like, argument to like advocate or go to bat for somebody. That they're going to go to bat for you. Allah Ta'ala didn't create the Qur'an just so that he can be like, yeah, I'm not listening to you. Right? And this is an aqidah issue. It's not the actual Qur'an. It's a recitation of the Qur'an that will have, have that, that form. As far as the Qur'an itself, it's one of the sifat of Allah Ta'ala. But the, the recitation of the Qur'an itself, if it has an anthropomorphic form, Allah Ta'ala is not going to be like, yeah, forget you, I'm not listening. Like, that doesn't mean anything. Um, so this is, this is the, from the benefits of... Of Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Imran, an entire juz or a separate book can be written uh, just regarding the, the fadila of the recitation of those two uh, surahs uh, in and of themselves. There are books like that that have the fadila of the different parts of the Qur'an and its recitation. Inshallah, one day we'll get to read, read some of that. وَعَنْ سَيْدْنَا عَثْمَانَ Sayyidina Uthman bin Affan ta'ala anhu, he narrates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that the best of you is the one who uh, learns the Qur'an, to, goes through difficulty in learning the Qur'an uh, and, and, and teaches it. Right? Ta'allama and alima means something different. Alima means to know something. Ta'allama means to like, go through difficulty to exert yourself. You, both of you are hafaz, I'm assuming. Was it easy? No. And like, you know, it was a while ago, so maybe like the... You know, the Qari Sabs were not as like, uh, you know, restrained in their creative motivation techniques, right? Yeah. But like, this is what I tell people when they're struggling through their hips and the parents are like struggling. I'm like, just keep keep doing it. Once the hips is done, I swear nobody ever is like, oh, it was so hard. I don't know if it was worth it. Right? While the hips is happening, everybody cusses out their Qari Sab. And he's a jerk, and he this, and he that, and he the other thing, and whatever. And then once the hips is done, my Qari Saab was a wali of Allah, and he used to like spit, and like trees would grow out of it. And like, 
you know, Allah have mercy on him and this and that and blah, 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 the other thing. And he hit me one time, but it was for my own good. Everyone changes their tune once the, the thing is done, right? Who, no, a, a, nobody likes their HIFS teacher while they're doing HIFS, except for very few people. And B, nobody says anything bad about them like, except after they're done, except for very few people. Uh, so, right, the person who goes through great difficulty or exerts, you know, through takalluf, they, they learn the Qur'an and the people who the people who teach it. Now, it's very significant that this hadith is narrated by Sayyidina Uthman bin Affan radiallahu anhu. Why? Because out of the four Khulafa Rashidun, he was the only one who was a hafiz of Qur'an during the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And this is a great proof. This is a great proof against those, against those uh, despicable people who will say bad about him, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. That, that, that imagine Rasulullah loved him so much that he married one daughter uh, to him and she passed away and then he married another daughter to him and she passed away and he said if there was another daughter I had that was still unmarried that I could marry, I would have married a third daughter to you as well. And he's what? He's a hafiz of, uh, of the book of Allah Ta'ala. In the beginning of Islam there are very few people who were father of, of, of the Quran. The other three Khulafa Rashidun According to some opinion or another, all of them they became hafaz, but after Rasulullah passed away. The one who was actually like, like up-to-date hafiz as the ayat are coming down, uh, there, were, there are few of them. There are few of them. Sayyidina Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anhu, Sayyidina Ubay bin Ka'ab, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. There's a couple of them, like Arba'atun Jama' al-Qur'an, etc. Et there, there's, there's like a long discussion about what does that mean, because there's different hadith in which the Prophet said that there are four people who memorize the Qur'an, but there'll be a different four people. So why, why does he mention one four here and another four there? That, that, that one four is for, for the, the four hufaz of the muhajireen, one four is the four hufaz of the, of the ansar, right? So there's a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that uh, Hafiz bin Hajar, he has like a long tahqiq regarding this issue. Suyuti also transmits Hafiz, Hafiz bin Hajar's tahqiq in his itqan that, that the ihtajj al hayyan al aws wal khazraj that the two, the two uh, uh, tribal groupings of the Ansar, the Aus and the Khazraj, they, uh, um, they, they, they debated with one another to show, show who's, who's better. So the Aus, they said, from amongst us is the man who, uh, uh, from amongst us is the man who, uh, uh, Rasulullah said his witness is worth the witness of two people. And from amongst us is the man who, when he died, the angels gave them the, 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 the witnesses worth, worth two witnesses, Khuzaymat ibn Thabit. And the, the, from amongst us is the one when he died, Hanzala, when he died, the angels, they uh, gave him ghusl. And from amongst us is the one when he died, the ihtazzat al-arsh, the arsh shook, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. And from amongst us who died is uh, uh, the, the one that the, 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 the kuffar uh, tried to decapitate his dead body and like a swarm of hornets uh, uh, drove them away uh, for, for, for three days in a row uh, till, till they gave up. Uh, uh, Asim bin Thabit uh, um, and so then, then the, the Khazraj said from amongst us there are four that are Hufaz of the Quran and, and no one from the no one memorized it other than them meaning but nobody from the from the, uh, from the uh, Ansar so Sayyidina Uthman bin Affan is one of those people so he's the one who's saying that the best of you is the one who learns the Quran goes through difficulty learns the Quran and teaches it to other people it's not just somebody who's like hafiz bun and like doesn't know how to read you know you know themselves or whatever it's not like that trophy hafiz that's like a, the whole trophy hafizism hafizism thing is like very out of control 
and it leads to like hufaz that become drug addicts and like apostates afterward. It's not a good thing. Being hafiz isn't far as if you find yourself cussing your kids out for like not finishing their door of sabak or whatever. Why don't you just put the brakes on? You know, it's okay if they only memorize 10 juz or whatever. There's a lot of khair they can still do. I'm not saying to give up, but I'm just saying like don't ever make it such a thing that you like break your kids psychologically or whatever for it. That applies to everybody except for you kids. Uh, you guys have to memorize, otherwise Baba's going to... Anyway, okay. So, but for everyone else's kids, you know, just lay off the kids. Inshallah. Uh, you'll see that you'll see that there'll be benefit in it. Inshallah. That's what my own Sheikh, may Allah ta'ala give him long life and preserve him. He says that he says that I can tell the kids that used to get like, you know, excessively beat or, or excessively told off. Um, and he, go, he he said that he, he had one student that he can't see properly. He has to... He has to. He has like a like real thick like bifocal lens glasses. He says I used to be able to see just fine. He said when I did hips, I was so afraid of my my uh, uh, my qarisab, who used to savagely beat us, uh, uh, that I would I would have to like by dim light review at night because it was harder for me to to memorize than the other students. So he's like a good. I would lose sleep and just review by dim light to the point that it damaged my. The doctor said it damaged your eyesight. Um, so, yeah, don't be that, don't be that, don't be that crazy on your kids. Inshallah, if they don't do it in two years, they'll do it in four years. Or if they, you know, don't do thirty ajza, they'll do you know ten or whatever. It's, it's there are sahaba that said na Khal bin Walid radiAllahu taala anhu. He only knew qulhu Allahu ahad, and he used to look at the mushaf and say that going out in the path of Allah taala has, uh, has has uh, restrained me from being able to give you your your right. Um, so there are different ways of a person getting close to Allah Ta'ala. Don't make them hate the deen by, by, by being that crazy. But, you know, I'm, and when those of you who know me know that, like, I'm not really into this kind of self-esteem positive, like, everyone wins first place, uh, uh, like, <laughs> manner of, like, raising children. I think that, like, ruins them as well. But there's something in the middle that, 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 that's matloob, inshallah. Um, but we also have to give that respect then to the, 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 the students and to the ulama, if we teach, if you teach the kids their Islamic studies, but it like always takes a backseat to like their other studies, then we're teaching, we're teaching them kufr through Islamic learning. The thing they're learning is Islam the, the, on the surface, but underneath it they're learning kufr, that the dunya is more important than the akhirah. You have to, you have to honor your, your own Quran teachers, you have to honor the teachers of your children. If you don't honor the ulama, your children are not, not going to honor Islam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us tawfiq inshallah we'll continue the book of Fadail next week. Wa sallallahu ta'ala rasulullah sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.